The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. Today's world news, what it means, where it's taking us. I bring you the one and only possible message of world peace. This is a message of hope, tremendous hope. And he said unto me, you must prophesy again. The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. The president's beach home is being uh, looked over by the FBI today under a consensual search. Exactly. And it's the FBI that is there. Uh, the president's personal attorney, Dana and Bill and Jonathan, uh, Bob Bauer, was careful to uh, put out a carefully worded statement saying DOJ is there. Yes, the FBI is technically part of DOJ, but we are talking about FBI agents at a sitting president's vacation home right now searching for potential classified documents. The attorneys for the president claimed they searched the Wilmington property and there were no classified documents found. Well, now we are learning the FBI is not going to just take the president's attorney's word for that. And FBI agents are going through and searching the property. There's the, the B-roll. You can see uh, the generic footage. But where's the live footage? Remember, remember Mar-a-Lago back in August? And they had the, the cameras positioned across the bay, the live reports. And because it was unprecedented, it's never happened to a former president. Here, though, it's a sitting president. And, and how many of his properties? This is just today. This is breaking, breaking news this morning. He's had, what, three of his properties searched by the FBI now? You would think the cameras would be rolling live. It's a sitting president, after all. Well, as we've been covering on this show, this is just a sign, yet another sign, that uh, they're finished. Barack Obama and his team, they're finished with Joe Biden. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is The Trumpet Daily. We appreciate you joining our growing audience. You can get to the live video stream of this show every weekday morning at 11 a.m. here in the central time zone of the United States. 7 p.m. in Jerusalem, Israeli time. So don't forget about that for those viewers in the Middle East. We have a lot to get to on today's show. As I say, if our count is accurate, this would be the third FBI search of properties owned by the sitting president fake one at that, but the sitting president of the United States. What a, what a bombshell story this is. I mean, it's being covered, don't get me wrong. And, and it's, it's these news reports, by the way, they're being uh, broken by uh, CBS, NBC, you know, the, the mainstream media. Again, a, a pretty good sign that uh, something is changing here in uh, the Joe Obama administration. Something's shifting as far as uh, Barack Obama's third term is concerned. The FBI searched the, uh, the uh, Penn Biden Center back in November. You'll recall that that was covered up conveniently enough until well after the midterms were over. Just try to do everything that they can to slow the bleeding, these radical Democrats. Don't, don't, certainly, this is what the FBI does, right? They rig elections. They, they, they did it in 2020. Twitter files, all kinds of other evidence. 
is turning up to prove that. Listen to, this is from, Je I forget which clip it was. It was the Jesse Waters clip. I think it's number six. Listen to what he said last night on his show. Biden's the oldest president in American history, which makes Kamala consequential. News just broke that Joe Biden skipped his 2022 physical. And when the oldest president in the history of the country skips his physical, hides it, catches COVID twice, fractures his foot chasing his dog, falls off his bike and falls up the stairs and needs notes that say, hi, I'm Joe Biden. Democrats aren't taking anything for granted. Biden said he'd probably run for re-election, God willing. But God doesn't choose our president. The FBI does. And the FBI can cut Biden down whenever they want. The FBI put Biden in the White House and they can take him out. It's pretty amazing now that this, these kinds of statements are just casually stated. The FBI installed him and the FBI can take him out. So whatever's happening at his uh, beach house in Delaware with the FBI, yet we still don't even know what the documents contain, what's in those documents. We just know that it's about time for the FBI to remove him. It's not going to be it's not going to be treated, though, the same way as uh, raiding Trump's property. You see it even just from the way the media approach it, as I said just a moment ago. So they searched the, the Penn Biden Center in November. They've searched the the Delaware home, the garage, you know, where Hunter lived, where the Corvette was parked. And then now it's the beach house. It says here, the FBI, this is from this morning, the FBI searched President Joe Biden's beach house outside Rehoboth Beach, Delaware, on Wednesday. Two sources familiar tell NBC. It says a third source familiar with the situation said no warrant was involved in Wednesday's search, and the search was consensual. So they're, they're being very cooperative <laughs> now with these, uh, with these documents for six years, longer than that. Because some of the documents, as we learned last week, they go back to Joe Biden's time as senator, even. So before 2009, before he became vice president, these documents, years and years and years, just tucked away in all of these, these properties scattered over the earth. This is from CBS. This was actually yesterday. It says the FBI searched the Penn Biden Center offices in mid-November, according to two sources familiar with the investigation, after lawyers for President Biden had found about 10 documents marked classified there on November 2nd. So the lawyers conducted the search. The lawyers, by the way, said that they searched the beach house and uh, they didn't find anything. Well, the FBI now is there. <laughs> what are we to believe? What are we to make of all this? Documents everywhere. It says the material originated from Mr. Biden's time as vice president. It's not clear whether FBI personnel found any additional classified or presidential material during the mid-November sweep. So the lawyers go through first, then comes the FBI, and it's the same here with the Beach House now, as we learn from reports just this morning. This is, this is a, an administration that's been anything but transparent or cooperative. Never mind what the legacy media wants you to believe. This is from the Washington Examiner. It says members of the Biden administration should face serious consequences if they continue defying bipartisan congressional demands for intelligence information. Remember, this is bipartisan. There's Democrats. There's Democrats on this House committee that are saying we need to know what these documents are. I mean, if they're highly classified or top secret, and if the Biden family is out there selling these secrets, it's certainly possible 
because they've been raking in tens of millions of dollars from China, from Ukraine, from Russia. It's a bipartisan. How often does a, a committee come together in a bipartisan fashion? It hardly ever happens anymore. It says, if the administration does not comply, Congress should push its own constitutional powers to the limit with the strongest possible enforcement of a contempt of Congress conviction. So we'll see what Congress is able to do. Uh, James Comer, remember, he's uh, the Republican from Kentucky, and he has said, even with respect to the Hunter Biden laptop, that this investigation that we're going to be kicking off is an investigation into not Hunter, the big guy, the big guy. That would be Joe Biden. There was another report uh, yesterday, I believe, from NBC News. It says here, a top, a top January 6th investigator says the FBI, other agencies could have done more to repel Capitol mob had they acted on intel. Well, that's quite the revelation. Two years on, listen to this. Again, this is from NBC, clip eight. The images of the attack on the Capitol stunned America and the world. And tonight, in an exclusive interview, the chief investigator of the January 6th committee says the government could have prevented it. Had law enforcement agencies acted on the available intelligence, do you believe the attack on the Capitol could have been successfully repelled? I think it would have been a lot different had law enforcement taken a more assertive, protective posture. The intel in advance was pretty specific, and it was enough, in our view, for law enforcement to have done a better job operationalizing a secure perimeter. To you, he said, he understands. The vice yes. president has no role. Yes. Okay. Former federal prosecutor Tim Hafey conducted most of the big interviews for the committee's public hearings. Law enforcement had a, a very direct role in contributing to really the failures, the security failures that led to the violence. People familiar with the committee's work tell NBC News members downplayed that finding because they wanted to keep the focus on former President Trump. The committee, the committee, you know, the one that uh, Nancy Pelosi set up, they downplayed that finding. What was the finding? that law enforcement had a direct role in contributing to the security failures on that day. Of course, and this is NBC's take. They're even, even now that they're confessing to the truth, they're still sugarcoating everything, making it sound like it was this violent attack on the Capitol when it wasn't. It was, a, it was incited by law enforcement. It was incited by the FBI. The same FBI that rigs elections, as uh, Jesse Waters just says casually now. We all know this. They were out there. They were in the midst. More and more footage is being revealed. But here, here they say they this the, the, the segment you just saw was set up by Lester Holt saying basically the, the report that came out a while back, a few weeks ago, 800 pages, and they purposefully, Kinzinger and Cheney and company, they purposefully left out the bit about how law enforcement could have prevented it. Because why? Well, you heard it the last part of that segment or the last part of that clip. They wanted to keep the focus on Trump. It's always got to stay on Trump. No one else, as I said yesterday on the show, no one else is guilty. No one else has any sins. It's just Mar-a-Lago. It's just Donald Trump. We just have to focus on Trump. And as it happens, as I said yesterday, he's the only one. He's the only one that's, uh, that's officially announced he's running for president, and he's already got four senators 
I mentioned Lindsey Graham yesterday, but he's already got four senators who've endorsed him. He's out front. And, and you have more and more media outlets accepting the fact that, well, he's at least going to be the Republican nominee. Pretty amazing to see this happening. And you can see why. You can see why people want him to come back. I mean, the nation is being attacked at the southern border. A never-ending stream of migrants, including, including even terrorists. I'll get to that just, a, just in a second. But first, listen to Sec Secretary Mayorkas as he dodges the question about the whereabouts of these getaways, or gotaways as they're called. This is clip two. Do you know where they are and who they are? So, gotaways have been a challenge from year to year, regardless of the administration. Whether it's more than a million in the early part uh, of this department's administration, or it's hundreds of thousands over the ensuing years. But what we are doing is we are dedicating people, uh, physical assets, and an increasing reliance and use of innovative technology to enhance our visibility and our interdiction capabilities. All talk and no action. No action. The border is wide. The cartels control the southern border. My father made this point a couple months ago. The cartels are control. What does that say about the United States of America when you have these terrorists in Mexico controlling what goes in and out of the United States of America? Listen to this from Fox News earlier today, clip nine. And this is a remarkable story. You have an Iranian national on the terror watch list who was apprehended at our border, one of almost 40 who we've apprehended. And as you say, this wasn't by the feds. This wasn't by the Department of Homeland Security. It was by Texas law enforcement officers. So thank goodness the state of Texas is at least taking responsibility for its border with Mexico, even if Joe Biden won't take responsibility for policing our border. And what really worries me, Dana, is not this one person we caught or, or the almost 40 that we've caught. It's how many have we missed? How many have been able to infiltrate our country without being caught? I worry about the potential for terror attacks, including mass terror attacks on the scale of another 9-11 if we don't secure our border. And there won't have to be a 9-11 commission or anything else to figure out how it happened. It'll be obvious. Our open southern border has posed a grave threat to our national security and the safety of our people. If, you, if your eyes are open, you can see where this is leading. There, there's going to be another attack on the United States. I mean, they've apprehended 40 terrorists, to say nothing of the terrorists that are the cartels. They're just letting them all. And how many of them? If they've apprehended 40, how many have gotten away? Since October, there have been three, more than 300,000 gotaways that have just spread into the United States. How many of them are hardened terrorists? It amounts to something like 2,500 per day. It's happening every single day. As uh, Donald Trump famously said back in 2015, they're not sending over their best. The, the people in Central and South America. But there's people coming in from Iran as well, from the Middle East. Terrorists from the Middle East that want to destroy the United States. And here's Barack Obama just opening the doors wide. Come on in. What is this leading to? When will the explosion of violence happen because of what the United States is allowing to come right into the country?
This again was Tom Cotton on Fox News earlier today, clip 10. I think it's reasonable to infer that we have allowed many more people on the terrorist watch list to get in and even kind of a normal ratio based on the known gotaways and the ones we've apprehended would uh, suggest because you would assume, I think it's fair to say, that hardened terrorists who have trained overseas to conduct terror attacks are going to be more skillful and artful in evading law enforcement than a poor migrant who's simply trying to enter our country to get a job and pay uh, for expenses for their family back home. So I think this is a grave threat to our national security. It's just one more urgent reason to secure our border now. It's a grave threat for sure. For sure. I, I'll refer you back to a, a no, November, December 2014 Trumpet article where we wrote, Ill, this is almost 10 years ago, illegal aliens are pouring over the nation's southern border by the tens of thousands, but our leaders refuse to stop the flow. So they can talk and talk and talk, but they refuse to stop the flow. Donald Trump came in for four years and he, he pretty much clamped down on the border, even though the, he didn't have the support that he wanted for building the actual wall. He beefed up security. He closed the border. He deported people coming across. It says here, we, who are these immigrants? We asked this in, in 2014. Who are these immigrants? Many are women and children, but many are gang members, criminals, and terrorists. See, Donald Trump picked up on this theme, this message, uh, just a year later when he came down the escalator. Many of them are gang members, criminals, and terrorists. It says, as our border guards care for illegal minors, many violent enemies of America are easily crossing. That's from 2014. That's the Trumpet magazine I mentioned yesterday. This is the newest issue. <clears throat> this is March of 2023. If you haven't subscribed, the, 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 the feature here, the fake world that we're in, the fake world, as all of this happens, you, you look at what this fake and illegitimate administration is, is doing or concentrating on or focusing or, or talking about. Listen to this brief montage. I think this includes uh, the fake vice president, the fake president, and, and also Chuck Schumer uh, from the Senate, clip 12. Bob and Doug returned to the Kennedy Space Center. They suited up. They waved to their families, and they rode an elevator up nearly 20 stories. They strapped in to their seats and waited as the tanks beneath them filled with tens of thousands of gallons of fuel. And then they launched. Yeah, they did. <laughs> Has America ever, ever, ever set a goal that it didn't reach? When has it ever? Name me a time. Name me a time when America's gone through a crunch and didn't come out stronger on the other side than went in. Now, you can use whatever train metaphor you want, anyone you want, but get on the Joe Biden Express now because we are not stopping. The, the way that Joe Obama people see it, I mean, these are the best of times. This is, uh, this is the fundamental transformation that Barack Obama promised back in 2008 when he was campaigning. Five more days, and we're going to fundamentally transform the United States. Everything's going according to plan. That's why they're talking about the things that they are. This is great. The, I played the clip yesterday from Joe Biden. The economy's just humming along. It's as good as ever. They're living in an alternate reality. 
They're living in an upside-down world. And people with eyes to see, they can see what's happening at the southern border. Let me just play you one more clip from, again from Tom Cotton earlier today, clip 11. The real uh, threat is who we don't know, who we didn't catch. You'd assume these people, as hardened terrorists, are, are going to be skilled at evading law enforcement. And you say that law enforcement will be blamed. I, I don't think that's the case, though, Dana. I think the blame for our open border lies now and for the consequences in the future squarely on the doorstep of Joe Biden at the White House. This didn't just happen. It's not an accident. It's not a bad hand that Joe Biden was dealt. Right. It's the deliberate choices he's made all along to stop the enforcement of our border and to allow up to six million illegal aliens to enter our country in just two years in his tenure. If there is a terrorist attack in this country from someone who crossed our southern border, Joe Biden will be squarely responsible for that attack. Six million in two years. Wow. And, and he's going to be squarely responsible. I mean, you could see this just really jolting. It's not that we're hoping for this by any means, but you could see a terrorist attack really jolting the United States in a way that nothing else really does or could. Look at what it did in, in, uh, in 9-11 back in 2001. It could happen. It could happen. If they're streaming across the border, six million of them? And, and how many are getting away every day? On top of that, 2,500 every day? Tucker Carlson, he had a segment last night talking about how that this administration... Uh, just goes from one emergency to the next, that they really don't have anything out there, at least not legitimately or honestly. They, of course they lie. Of course they lie and say everything is good. And they say the economy is great. But really, they've got one task force for this emergency. They never let a crisis go to waste. Never. They announced uh, the other day that the COVID emergency powers, those were going to be ending on May 11th. May 11th. Why can't it be today or why can't it be next week? Three years in, and then they make an announcement that, you know, we just need another 100 days. Remember the first, the, the first promise was just give us 15 days to slow the spread. I guess they still need another 100. May 11, and we don't even know if the travel bans are going to be lifted because of that. We'll see, hopefully. We'd sure like to see that so that we can carry on with our youth camps and our ministerial conferences and things of that nature. Boy, the devil has really been using these Marxist radicals to just even, in some ways, limit the work of God, or at least the ability to communicate face-to-face. -face. Look at what it's done to our society. Look at what it's done to our, our children. Tucker talked a little bit about the consequences or the fruits that came from all of these lockdown measures, now the vaccines. This is clip one. Our patience is wearing thin, Americans. If you want to take an untested experimental mRNA shot from a company that has bought immunity from Congress against future lawsuits, you are a selfish Neanderthal. Worse, you're a killer. You're literally, literally killing your own neighbors. The only good news is you will soon die yourself because you deserve it. That's what Joe Biden said. The president said that to his own people, and it was, of course, a lie. Leaving aside its potentially terrifying side effects, the shot did not work as advertised. Sorry, it just didn't. It did not prevent people from dying, did not even prevent them from transmitting or getting COVID themselves. And that's why vaccinated people still wear masks. Everyone knows this, but Joe Biden has never admitted any of it. 
nor has the federal government rehired the thousands of good people, really the best people, the Navy SEALs, the nurses, the EMTs, the firemen, the airline pilots, the people who were fired from their jobs for making what turned out to be a pretty solid medical decision. Almost three years ago, we were talking in the trumpet about the cure and how it was going to end up being worse than the disease itself. If you haven't subscribed to the Trumpet magazine, this, this gives you tomorrow's news, tomorrow's headlines today. Make sure that you call our operators and request a free one-year subscription to the Trumpet magazine, the 800 number. You can see it there at the lower third of the, the screen. It's one 930 3024 There's all kinds of articles now that are landing on the, the news stack talking about how, how the, just the mind-numbing costs of all of these measures, of, of the government putting, into, putting all of these, these policies in place to, to fight the disease. It's an emergency. We need these emergency powers. Issues and insights. It says here, as auditors and congressional investigators try to figure out just how much federal COVID relief went to fraudsters, they're missing the trillions of dollars in fraud committed by the federal government itself in a war that we had no chance of winning. So there's these reports, these investigations now of fraudsters that have helped themselves to all of these COVID funds. But as this article brings out, what about just the trillions that the government spent to try to stamp out the virus? I'm not going to... I'm not going to bring down the economy. I'm going to bring down the virus, said Joe Biden when he came into office. It says, last week, the Government Accountability Office reported that fraudsters took in about $60 billion in unemployment checks. That's on top of the tens of billions in fraudulent claims made through the Paycheck Protection Program, the tens of billions handed out through a Small Business Administration Program, and on and on and on it goes. Isn't this a great system? Well, we got to throw trillions at it because we're trying to save. We're trying to save people's lives. It says this Wednesday, the House Committee on Oversight and Accountability will hold a hearing to investigate rampant waste of taxpayer dollars in COVID relief programs. Rep. James Comer of Kentucky, the chairman of the committee, said we owe it to Americans to identify how hundreds of billions of taxpayer dollars spent under the guise of pandemic relief were lost to waste, fraud, abuse, and mismanagement. And then Issues and Insights says, that's all well and good, but what, are we, what we really need is an investigation into how the war against COVID wasted trillions of taxpayer dollars, imposed massive disruptions, handicapped millions of students, and probably didn't save many, if any, lives. The cure is worse says that sort of investigation, if done honestly, would likely conclude that we would have been better off if we'd done nothing at all beyond asking people to wash their hands and stay home if they're sick. We were talking a lot about that in uh, March of 2020. If you've listened to the program uh, for a number of years, you'll remember that, that time we had, we had some uh, special programs on the weekend we were running, just so that our, our members even, our coworkers, could have more messages on the Sabbath because they were all being locked down in the UK, in Australia, in New Zealand, even here in the United States. 
wasn't quite as bad, the lockdowns anyway, here in the U.S. But look at the damages. Look at what has happened. Listen to one of the House Republican leaders, um, Stefanik, I forget her first name, but she was going down the list of uh, everything that has happened as a result of these heavy-handed tactics by the governments in Israelite nations. Clip three. This week, House Republicans are voting on legislation to restore our constitutional rights and freedoms after two long years of Democrats' COVID-19 power grab policies. The extended COVID lockdowns, like the ones we saw in my home state of New York, caused irreparable damage to our children's development, financial strain on our small businesses, and unnecessary deaths among our most vulnerable seniors due to former disgraced Governor Andrew Cuomo's deadly and fatal nursing home order. Under the guise of COVID-19, Democrats' authoritarian policies weaponized the federal government, forced unconstitutional vaccine mandates, and cost hundreds of billions in waste and abuse of Americans' hard-earned taxpayer dollars. This week, House Republicans will pass a bill that will force the federal government to acknowledge what the American people already know, the pandemic is over. In addition, the Freedom for Healthcare Workers Act will end the unconstitutional COVID-19 vaccine mandates that cost our healthcare workers who bring bravely served on the front lines in the wake of the pandemic. They, it cost them their livelihoods and caused a crisis of staffing shortages nationwide. House Republicans will also pass the Show Up Act. Americans across the country show up to work every day. There is no reason why federal employees should not be held to the same standard. House Republicans will deliver on our promises to hold Democrats accountable for their failed COVID-19 policies. Again, if you were reading the trumpet, we, could, we were telling you in the summer of 2020 that that's where this is all leading. And like I say, you look through the news, news stack almost every day. There's a, a story in here from Globe and Mail that's in Canada. The Canadian government has not accounted for $600 billion in COVID spending. It's just basically it just disappeared. They don't know where $600 billion went. Just the news has a, as an item on uh, masking, which basically shows that putting on the mask was, was useless. It didn't do anything. It didn't, it didn't stop the spread at all. There's another story here about Pfizer. Its shares took, a, took the worst beating last month, January. I'm sure James O'Keefe had something to do with that. But their shares took a beating last month, the worst, I think, since uh, three years or so. Bloomberg says shares of Pfizer suffered their biggest monthly decline since June 2020 as investors anticipated a troubled path ahead for the drug makers' COVID products. They see what's coming. They see what's coming. Shares are plummeting now because Pfizer's been exposed. That's why. And so finally, here comes Joe Biden saying, okay, we're going to end the emergency powers in May. We're not going to do it now. I mean, we need a few more months to kind of transition into this and to, of course, come up with more emergencies that we can deal with to save you, after all. Listen to this from, this is from Tucker last night talking about Barack Obama and just how divisive he's been. And here he is. I mean, he show, when, when there's another incident involving race, even when it doesn't involve race, he's there to voice his views. This is, uh, I mean, this is his specialty, after all. This is clip five. So clearly the Democratic Party needs a new emergency, at least until we start sending ground troops to Ukraine and the population becomes suitably hysterical again. So because they need an emergency, they found one. And the new emergency turns out to be the old emergency, which is white racism. 
Now, unfortunately for the Democratic Party, white racism is one commodity, <laughs> like cedar boards, that's getting harder to find. Very few unarmed black men are killed by white cops these days. Where's George Floyd when you need him? So instead, in a pinch, they've settled for an unarmed black man killed by black cops, which they've informed us, nevertheless, despite all appearances, is still the product of white racism. And Barack Obama enthusiastically agrees. This is Barack Obama's lane. He was elected president twice on this kind of stuff, so he immediately jumped into the middle of the Memphis tragedy to remind us that white middle-class Republicans did this. Blood is on their hands. Soma, Dr. King, Rodney King, Trayvon Martin. They're all the fruit of white supremacy. In that same segment, Tucker uh, says basically that Obama's getting out there again, becoming more vocal, because in his view, he's trying to set the stage for Michelle Obama to enter into the political fray. Again, they all know it. They all know that they're done with Biden. There, there were some reports yesterday suggesting that they're done with Kamala as well because she's so unpopular. So again, a lot happening behind the scenes. But just coming back to this point about uh, triggering a race war, I mean, that's something that Obama was trying to do from the very beginning. Every time there was a, a racially charged incident, he'd throw, I mean, he'd throw fuel on the fire, Barack Obama. So it's no surprise that he would show up when five black officers beat a black suspect to death. And of course, we're told that this is because of white racism. Barack Obama's behind that message, whether or not it's, whether or not it's clearing the way for Michelle Obama or whoever to come along to replace Biden, you can't miss the fact that Donald Trump is the one who's actually gaining some momentum here. This is uh, from, from Politico. It says, Donald Trump's endorsement helped push J.D. Vance and Eric Schmidt into the Senate. Now they're nearly ready to return the favor. Vance has told allies over the last few months that he anticipates endorsing Trump in the Republican primary. Well, and it says the same about Schmidt. And then, of course, you've got Lindsey Graham and I think Tuberville from Alabama. He's also come out. It's just four, but four senators. I mean, that's a pretty big deal. And uh, as I said yesterday, this time, I mean, on this date, going back to, uh, what was it, two, three years ago, leading up to 2020, there were already 10 Democrats that had declared their candidacy for president. So I know the second one, the, well, whoever the other Republican's going to be to go second after Trump, they probably don't want to take the barrage <laughs> of criticism that they're going to get from the Trump people as soon as they enter into the race. I'm sure that once one does, then it's going to fall like dominoes and the rest will join. But this, Sam also noted this to me this morning, this Fox News headline that says SNL, that's the unfunny Saturday night uh, comedy show, skit sh the skit show. SNL cold opens satirize uh, Trump more, more than Biden, despite being out of office for two years. <laughs> so Saturday Night Live still spotlights Donald Trump. And of course, it's the same with the media. They, you know, it's a love-hate relationship. They hate him. They hate everything about him. They hate his politics. They hate his, his style. But they love the ratings. Look at what happens to CNN. When they, when, they, when they try to blot out Trump, CNN, I think there's some stats here early on or later on in my notes. 
CNN just notched its lowest ratings in nine years across all its day parts for the week of January 16th through 22, according to Nielsen, averaging just 444,000 viewers in prime time, 93,000 in the all-important age 25 to 54, and 417,000 viewers and 80,000 in the demo for Total Day. It says some especially troublesome news out of this week's Nielsen numbers is that Lick's uh, primary programming move, CNN This Morning, also suffered the lowest week since its launch just three months ago, averaging just 331,000 viewers. So CNN's ratings are in the toilet. And yet you have, you have Donald Trump making his return, as I brought, on, or brought up on the show yesterday, and uh, giving his rallies, getting coverage of it. Back, he's back on Twitter. He's been, well, he hasn't been tweeting, but he's back. He's been back or invited back to Facebook. Quite a lot of uh, change in just the last few weeks or months leading up to where we are right now. When we come back, we'll conclude today's show with our Bible study segment and uh, perhaps have a little bit of time to go through some viewer emails as well. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is The Trumpet Daily. We'll be right back. This is KPCGFM, and this is The Trumpet Daily. The developed nations have made awesome progress. They have produced a highly mechanized world, providing every luxury, modern convenience, and means of pleasure. Yet they are cursed with crime, violence, injustice, sickness and disease, broken homes and families. At the same time, more than one half the world is living in illiteracy, abject poverty, filth and squalor. Violence and destruction are rapidly multiplying. Many ask, why, if God exists, does he allow so much violence and human suffering? To understand the reason behind this astonishing paradox, request a complimentary copy of Mystery of the Ages. We were born into this 20th century world as it is. We take it for granted, but we can't explain it. It's like viewing a movie at a point already near the end. We see what is occurring at that point, but not having seen it from the beginning and not knowing how events developed to the point of viewing, we simply cannot understand what we are seeing. Mystery of the Ages transports you back to the beginning of the movie, to the foundation of this present evil world. To learn more, please visit thetrumpet.com. The Trumpet Daily. This week we've been uh, talking about the power of God and how that we've got to really go to the source to receive that spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind, as it says in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Jesus, remember, said in John 5, he said, I can of my own self do nothing. He went to God, his Father, for power, for inspiration, for love, for understanding, for strength in time of need. Notice what it says in 1 Corinthians 2. This is uh, verse 3. It says, And I was with you in uh, weakness and in fear and in much trembling. This is Paul talking about his ministry and, and what some of the things that he went through. 
for the brethren. In Corinth, verse 4 says, And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. See, the power of God was behind the Apostle Paul. He didn't come to them with flowery language. He didn't try to impress them with human intellect. He just wanted to present the truth of God to these people. And he, in doing so, he was backed by God's power. Verse 5, it says, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. See, what would you rather have? Would you rather have worldly wisdom, the wisdom of men? There's quite a few scholars and experts and talking heads and politicians and governors and prime ministers, presidents, diplomats. They're, in some ways, they're pretty impressive. Intellectually, they're impressive. But are they backed by the power of God? Do they receive God's power? What are we here to promote after all? What is it that we're moved by if we're serving God in this work? It's his power, always. Mr. Armstrong, Herbert Armstrong, he said this back in 1983. The Holy Spirit is something you have not had, something you must receive from God, something infinitely greater and more powerful than any powers within you, something from the great God who created you, who created the entire vast universe and all that exists. I think I might have left you with this quote yesterday, but it's worth repeating. It says, it is the essence, the very life, the nature of God, but it is also, it, it, it also is something from God, which he gives you from himself, which is actually a part of himself, and that imparts power. See, Ephesians 1 speaks of it as, as God's down payment. He gives us that little tiny down payment of our eternal inheritance in the kingdom of God, that, that purpose, that plan, that's actually going to, going to take God's family on out into the universe. Herbert Armstrong covers this at the end of Mystery of the Ages, that God's going to actually give us jurisdiction over the universe, all of the planets, the stars, the moons, everything. I mean, that makes puny man, even, even a wise man in this world, just utterly insignificant, nothing, less than nothing, a worm. If you don't have Mystery of the Ages, by the way, that, that seventh and final chapter, it'll blow your mind. The 800 number, one 930 This is the masterpiece that Herbert Armstrong wrote right at the end of his life. God inspired this book. God inspired it. Herbert Armstrong said as much in, uh, in uh, 1985 when he was handing this out to the sophomore class. He said, look, God wrote this through me. This, this answers all of the big questions in life. Mystery of the ages. How many times? As we read one example this morning in epistles. There in Romans chapter 11. I mean, this is a great mystery. Colossians 1 says much the same. Christ in you. The world can't grasp this. I mean, this is the key to understanding and wisdom. Wisdom on the God level. Understanding God's purpose and plan. Living by the power of God. Mystery of the ages. As I say, call our operators today and request your free copy. God's power. God's power inspired this book. Herbert Armstrong was 93 and virtually blind when he finished this. 
Now, he had some help from scribes and so on, but look at what God was able to put together and inspire in that last year of Herbert Armstrong's long and eventful life, mystery of the ages. This is Acts chapter 1 and verse 6. Notice this. It says, When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? See, the disciples, their minds were on the kingdom, God's kingdom, the restoration of God's government on earth. Read Acts 3, verses 19 through 21. This is where our minds should be. Colossians 3, 1 and 2 says that we need to set our minds on the things above. Matthew 6 and verse 33, it says, Seek first the kingdom, God's kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you. God knows we're physical. He knows we need sustenance and, and, and lodging and clothing and so on. And obviously, there's responsibilities that we have as a husband and a father or a wife and mother to provide and to look after our children and so on. But God, God himself is a father, and he takes care of his children if we look to him, if we trust him, if we rely upon him. So their minds were on the kingdom, verse 7 says, And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power. And then it says here, But you shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit is come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Now, you can continue reading on through Acts 2 and see where the disciples of Christ received power from on high. And, and look at the miracles that immediately started happening with the first century church and the growth and the development. Of course, persecution set in and then they were scattered. But even there, God used the scattering to spread the message. Look at how far-reaching that gospel work was. When you think about Paul, I mean, going through what's today uh, modern Turkey, working his way around Greece, over into Italy, and even beyond Italy. He wanted to get to Spain, and of course, if you know your history, he even got up into the UK. I mean, they didn't have modern transport like we do today. They didn't have cars and planes, trains. But he, uh, he, he, he took the message of God and delivered it. The power of God backed that apostle, the apostle Paul, and the others too that went to the lost tribes of Israel. You don't see as much in the book of Acts, at least after Acts 15, about the others of the uh, original apostles. But we know that they went to the lost sheep of Israel because that's where they were commissioned to go by Jesus himself in Matthew 10. That's another remarkable story in and of itself. Where are those lost tribes? Herbert Armstrong's other masterpiece, The United States and Britain in Prophecy, will tell you, and you can prove it from the Bible and from history. Where did the Israelites go? Are they lost forever? They're not. They're, uh, they're, it's plainly revealed in the United States and Britain in Prophecy. But anyway, coming back to Acts 1 here, Think of the power of God and how instrumental that is in the work of God 
That's what you're reading there in Acts 1. Jesus said to them, look, just wait here. Wait for the power. Of God. And then when you receive the power, then you can go and do a great work for me. And they certainly did that. Most of them sacrificed their lives, their physical lives, in serving God. Most of them were martyred. The Apostle Paul was beheaded. Why would they do this? How could they do that? Well, because they were backed by mighty power. They were backed by God's power. And that power can dwell in you. It, that's what the baptism and laying on of hands ceremony is all about. Someone who, like we do here on the college level, we go through several counseling sessions and assign reading, and, and this is why we really promote literature, because we want for you to study God's Word. Most people in, in the world don't do that. They don't read and study the Bible. But in God's church, it's different. You have to consume it. And, of course, as I was emphasizing in class today, I mean, think about just how detailed and meticulous God was in putting together the Bible. I mean, there's 40 authors that contributed to this, 40 human beings that God used, I mean. It was put together over the course of, of thousands of years. And, and then God used the, the Israelites of old. He, he used the Jews that... As Romans 3 says, they preserved the oracles. That's the Old Testament. He, and they were so meticulous in how that they, they copied each of those transcripts, each of, all of the parchments, just making sure every letter, every jot, every tittle was exactly where it needed to be. And then Christ comes along in the first century and the Jews reject him. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, they reject the Son of God, the Messiah. And then most of the New Testament, it's, it's penned in, in Greek. And then, so God used the Greek people. He used the Greek-speaking Greek world to write and to preserve. Of course, Paul and others like him wrote it. But then the Greeks were responsible for preserving it. Only God could do this. And as I was stressing this morning in class, I mean, it, that right there, just the principle of it, just knowing the way that God thinks and how he operates and how he went about preserving this book, Shouldn't we be a little bit detailed and meticulous in the way that we go about studying it? It is, after all, inspired by God. Every word, it says in 2 Timothy. Inspiration from God. God breathed inspiration. And so we consume it. We don't let one word fall to the ground, like it says in 1 Samuel 3 and verse 19. We want to gather up every fragment like Jesus admonished the disciples to do in John 6. Get every single fragment so that you can consume it all. 2 Timothy 1, notice this. I think I've referenced it two or three times already in this little series. But it says here, verse 6, Wherefore I put you in remembrance that you stir up the gift of God, which is in you by the putting on of my hands, this was right toward the end of Tim or rather Paul's life. Timothy's faith had been shaken. And Paul says to him, Now, here, you've got to stir up the Spirit of God. You've got to stir up the Spirit of God, the gift of God that's in you, which is in you by the putting on of my hands. So it was Paul who laid hands on Timothy and prayed the prayer, prayed the prayer of, of anointing that God would join his spirit, his power, together with Timothy's human spirit. You can read about this in, in Romans 8, verses 14 to 16. 
that joint testimony that the Spirit of God might testify together with your human spirit. I mean, these are deep truths, but like it says in the, the end of Romans 11, the riches and the depths, oh, if we could just get to the bottom of it, there's so much to study. There's so much to dig into. Paul said, look, Timothy, times are, times are tough. You're going to have to stir up that power of God. You're going to have to receive strength, energy, power, love, understanding, soundness of thinking. You're going to have to receive all of that from God. Verse 7, it says, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Power, you see, the Greek word for power, it's, uh, it's the word from which we get our English word, dynamite. God wants for us to be explosive. He wants us to have, have explosive power and to use it, of course, for His purposes. That's why submission to God's government is so important. God wants to know. He, he wants us to prove ourselves first so that he knows that we can go off and, and use that power, not for destructive purposes, but to actually, to actually spread God's love and character and nature all over the earth and eventually the, the whole universe. Read Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. There's no end to this purpose and plan. This is just a tiny, tiny, tiny little foretaste. This, this experience, this Christian walk in this fleshly frame, it's just like a little snap of a finger. God wants to give us eternity. God wants to give us the universe. Verse 8, it says, Be not you therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner. Don't be ashamed. Stand up boldly for God. Proclaim this truth. You're backed by the power of the Almighty God, after all. Mr. Armstrong wrote in the healing booklet, Peter, Stephen, <coughs> Philip, Paul, all common, humble, ordinary men themselves, all had that power, the same identical power Jesus had, because they lived and walked close to God and were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were filled with God's power. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. If you'd like to request any of the literature that I noted today, the 800 number, 1-866-930-3024. The email address, td at thetrumpet.com. Thank you for joining us on today's show, and we'll see you again tomorrow. <laughs>